Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so put your thinking caps on. Capernaum is Jesus' new home. Matthew 8 and Mark 2 lead scholars to believe that Jesus lived with Peter in a fishing village. And these fishing contracts in this village along the Sea of Galilee, they were a hot item because the fish, for some reason, were extra good in the Sea of Galilee. And it was believed that Zebedee was very successful in this industry. And his sons, James and John, were believed to be the business partners of Andrew and Peter. There was even some evidence that Salome, the mother of James and John, and the wife of Zebedee, was Mary's sister, which would have made James and John somewhat Jesus' cousins. But some ask, well, why did Peter and Andrew move from Bethsaida to Capernaum? And there's a number of different opinions as to the why. It could have been the tax benefits of a different province, the fish processing facility just a few miles away in that province, uh, it was also a major trade route along this ancient highway, the Via Maris. So it could have been the economics. But more than anything else, this was to believe the hub of the Sea of Galilee for Jesus to get anywhere pretty quickly. So we're going to look at this story in Mark chapter 2 and verses 1, 2, and 3. And it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. I just find that so interesting how that's worded. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. It is, it is told in the commentary of this, this is Peter's house where this is taking place. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, one of those closest three friends of Jesus, So when you're friends with Jesus, you always think everything's going to work out, but you're not necessarily sure how. And you're going to see why that's the case in a minute. Many of those who came to Jesus for help, sadly, had brought disease upon themselves. But Jesus did not refuse to heal these types of people. And among these types of people was the paralytic at Capernaum. Like the leper, this paralytic had lost all hope of his recovery. His disease was the result of a sinful life and his sufferings were made all the more bitter that just caused him all this remorse. I did this to myself. Now I have to ask, I don't know what he did to make himself paralyzed. In vain he had appealed to the Pharisees and all the physicians, somebody please help me. But they pronounced him incurable. They denounced him as a sinner and declared that he would die under the wrath of God. That was the mindset in Israel. The palsied, paralyzed man, day by day, got more and more depressed into, finally, ultimate despair. But then somehow, he's still got his mind about him. He starts to hear the news of what's going around. There's this Jesus. And others as sinful as you, he's healing. 
And he was encouraged to believe that, could it be that I too could be healed by this Jesus? But then he remembered, but I caused this. I did this to myself. But this little bit of him hold, held on to this idea of, but what if? What if he could heal even me? But we're told that as we get into this story, he just wanted the freedom, the peace, that my sins are forgiven. Yeah, he was paralyzed, and we all may think, well, that's, that's what his motivation was. I want to walk again. I want to run again. But we're told that deep down in the depths of his soul, I just want to have something I've not had in a very long time, and that is peace, that God is at peace with me. He wanted to see Jesus receive this assurance of forgiveness and peace with heaven. Then he would be happy. I can live, I can die, I don't care. I'm forgiven. But there was no time to lose because as he looked at his body, as the weeks were wearing on of Jesus was healing people, he realized, my skin looks terrible. My body looks terrible. I'm dying. I'm going to die. So he pleads with his friends, I need you to do me a favor. And boy, I hope we have friends like this and I hope we can be friends like this that don't want to be our friends because of our title or position or what's in our bank account or what we can do for them. This guy looks like he has nothing to offer them. He's a paralyzed individual that sits around his house and is very depressed. But he pleads with his friends. He's got at least four of them that drop what they're doing and literally lift him up. And he says, I have this plan. Pick me up on my bed. Take me to Jesus. And they say yes. So they get to this house, Peter's house, and they start to see this place is packed. They start to walk around while they're carrying perhaps some, they describe it a bed, like a couch. Maybe it's like a stretcher. I don't really know how you imagine it. But four guys holding this man up walking around this packed house that archaeologists believe they've discovered this house under this synagogue. And they describe it as, it's not that big of a house. It's not that fancy of a place. But it's packed. And Jesus is in the middle teaching. They hear Jesus speaking from inside the house. But they have no idea how on earth they're going to reach Jesus and they know that inside, as, as the custom was, Jesus' disciples are around him. And there's doctors of the law sitting by. Everyone from everywhere had come out of the woodwork to see Jesus. But we're told about some of these people. Who were they? Some had come as spies. Some had come to look for something they could accuse Jesus of. And then you had the, the curious types, the eager types, the reverent types, the irreverent types, and people that just came for the entertainment of it. There were people from different nationalities. The rich were there. The poor were there. The middle class were there. This was a fishing village. So they keep trying to push their way through the crowd. If you've ever been in a crowd, you know that feeling. And nothing. And the sick man looks around him and he's just more and more discouraged. Can anyone here relate with that? 
Everything around you seems like darkness. There just seems to be no hope, and yet you feel something in your bones. If I could just get through this little obstacle, Jesus will hear my prayer on the other side of that. And he's holding on to this little bit of hope. And you imagine he's racing and thinking, if you've ever been face to face with death, you think, I have nothing left to lose. I'm willing to do anything. So we're told at his suggestion, in verse 4, he comes up with a plan. He tells his four friends, look, this is what we're going to do. Take me to the roof. And if you have friends that you can be honest with, you know, hey, you got, you got something on your face. Hey, your hair looks goofy. You know, real candid, good friends. You have to imagine in this moment, they're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? And he says, look, I've got this plan. Just get me to the roof. All right, fine. We'll take you up on the roof. I don't know where this is leading. They get up on the roof and he tells them part two that I'm sure he might not have told them on the ground, which is now here's what I want you to do. Rip off the thatch or the tiles or whatever is on this roof. Rip it off. We need to get into the house. Break the roof. Now you're the friends. And we've done you a lot of service today. We have done our best. And now you want us to literally rip up. This is Peter's house. And if, if, as many scholars say, Jesus lives here. You want us to destroy the roof? I'm desperate. Break up the roof. So they break up the roof. And then, I don't know, did they bring ropes? Did he know this may have been a backup plan? How do they let him down, it says, to the feet of Jesus in the middle of the room? I don't know how that works. And then we're told Jesus' teaching was interrupted. You think? This packed room, and all of a sudden, well, someone is coming through the roof. And Jesus looks upon the sad countenance of this man, and he sees the pleading eyes fixed, not around the room, not I'm sorry to have burst in here, but he's looking straight at Jesus. We're told Jesus knew the longing of his soul. Then something quite fascinating. It was Christ who had brought conviction to his conscience when he was still at home. John 16, 8 talks about the power of God to bring conviction into your life. I just find that fascinating that Jesus was already working on this man while he was still at his house. When he repented of his sins and believed in the power of Jesus to make him whole, the mercy of the Savior had blessed his heart. Because Jesus goes right to it. Jesus had watched the first glimmer of faith grow into a conviction that he was the sinner's only helper. And had seen it grow stronger with every effort to come into his presence. Which means Jesus was very aware that man, who I got his attention at his house, is trying to get into this room. Which I just want to encourage you means Jesus has never forgotten about you. You're never not on his mind. Because it was Jesus who had drawn him to the house that day. Verse 5 in Matthew 9 verse 2 also had a nice touch here. In words that fell like music on the paralyzed man's ears, Jesus said to him, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Now you imagine the friends 
probably thought, we need to get this man in front of Jesus because he needs physical healing. He's paralyzed. We've had to drop what we're doing today to get him into this room. What do you think they were feeling at this moment? What are you feeling? You've just lifted the guy on a roof and down and you're exhausted. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. To everyone else, it's, hmm. But to the paralyzed man, this is what I wanted to hear. This is what has kept me up at night. This is what has tortured my soul. I just wanted to know that I'm forgiven. And the burden of guilt rolls from the sick man's soul because he can no longer doubt. Jesus' words reveal the power to read his heart because that's why he wanted to be there that day. But what about this power to forgive sins? Hope now takes the place of despair and joy of oppressive gloom. The man's physical pain is gone. His whole being is transformed. He makes no further request and he lays in peaceful silence too happy for words, Ellen White describes. Many are watching with breathless interest every movement in this strange transaction and everyone listening is thinking, were these words an invitation to them? I've got a sin-sick soul. I want to be freed from the burden of this sin. And then verses six and seven. But some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning, not out loud, but in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Everybody else is amazed, but not these experts. Because they're afraid of losing their influence with the multitude. We learn the, the biblical definition of blasphemy here. which is any religion that either preaches from the pulpit, pulpit or the confessional booth, that they have the power to forgive your sins, the Bible says, unless it is God, it's blasphemy. So the Pharisees think, well, this must be blasphemy because this can't be God, can it? Then we get into verses 8 through 11. Jesus now looks at them. There's all these layers and all these stories. He's forgiven the sins because his name Jesus, he shall take sins away from his people and save them from them. Jesus now looks at these experts beneath which, beneath which they cower and they draw back. And Jesus says, why are you guys thinking evil in your hearts? And he asks them some questions. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, arise and walk? Because that's the great dilemma here. Everyone's thinking, why did he address something internally in this man's mind? Clearly his body is what needs healing. But then he says, but that everyone here may know that the Son of Man has power on earth, not to heal people, but to forgive sins. His primary mission. He says, so that everyone knows that's why I'm here. That's why I came to the earth. That's what this man was looking for today but so that you know that that's what I can provide. He then turns to the paralyzed man. Arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Oh, so now what is going to happen? That very same man who had been the mastermind of breaking into this house 
gets on his feet. We're told with the elasticity and strength of youth, immediately takes up his bed, heads home in front of everyone. And it says, they were all amazed, glorified God and said, we've never seen anything like this. But for us today, there are some of us who believe God created the world in six days and he just spoke it into existence. But I'm not sure he can forgive me for what I've done. When we're told that it was easy as speaking, this man's sins were forgiven, it's just as easy today to tell you your sins are forgiven. That doubt you may have, that's okay. Because we're not saved on how much we believe or or necessarily what we believe, but the power of Jesus working in us and through us, he gets the credit at the end of the day. And the healing of the body in this story was evidence of the power that he had to change the heart and mind of someone. Because he tells that paralyzed man, arise and walk that he may know. And I would say that we may know that the Son of Man has the power on the earth to forgive our sins. The paralyzed man found in Jesus healing for both the soul and the body, but he was perfectly content. If you just heal my soul, I'll be fine. He needed health of the soul before he could appreciate health of the body. We're told that the greatest evil that has happened is by divorcing physical healing and spiritual healing. If you don't heal both of these things, people aren't finding the peace and joy that they really want. Before the physical disease could be healed, Jesus must bring relief to the mind and cleanse the soul from sin. And we often forget this. this is, we don't really address this in American healthcare. What's your physical problem? Let's deal with it in a physical way. Rather than how Jesus dealt with it, he often would ask the question, worded a few different ways, do you want to be made whole? Do you want the total package here? And he started with, do you want your mind to be whole and well? There are today thousands suffering that we know, that we love, maybe even that's us, from physical disease who, like the paralyzed man, just want to hear the words, your sins are forgiven. The burden of sin with its unrest, its its unsatisfied desires, is the foundation of sickness and disease. We cannot find relief until we go to the healer of the soul. And I would just say it's an injustice to, to say we can provide health without addressing the core thing, which is spiritual health. The peace alone which Jesus can impart would restore vigor to the mind and health to the body. All right, so back to the story. What's the effect on everyone watching this story? The effect was everyone there believed as if heaven had just opened up and revealed the glories of this better place. As the man who had been cured passed through the crowd, you can imagine people just, you know, like the Red Sea, it just parts. This guy's carrying his bed home. He was blessing God at every step, carrying his bed as if it were light as a feather. 
The people fell back to give him room and with shock on their faces, they looked at him, whispering to themselves, we have seen some strange things today. And then the man gets home and in the home of the paralyzed man, everyone's rejoicing. He's carrying the very thing he left laying on. And they gather around him with tears of joy. They couldn't believe their eyes. Their dad, their husband, their son stands before them in the full vigor of manhood. And we're told all the family praised God and were ready to lay down their lives for him. Uh, Whether you are in that moment, have been in that moment, or will be in that moment, I'm going to say something very strange. The greatest blessing that can come into your life is coming face to face with death. Because then all the noise of the world, all the things that you thought were important, you just start to realize what really matters. Have I loved people? Am I at peace with people? Have I forgiven people? And I think that's a good place where it starts, people. But then there's that really deeper question that somehow you got to get to. Am I at peace with God? Because I can see many of you that I know, you have lost someone you have loved in a moment. And we can go through life believing that there are many sunny skies ahead until there's not. So I want to encourage you, make peace with those around you. And like this paralyzed man, the greatest blessing that can come into your life is make peace with God. If you have any inkling of thought, are we good, God? Are we at peace? Go to him. Is there anything I'm keeping back from you, holding back from you, that I've been focusing in the wrong directions? Jesus wants to be at peace with you. He says in Revelation, I'm standing at the door and knocking. I want to be with you. He's not against you. Though all the things of this world and often maybe even things that we preach or I've preached may appear that God is not for you, please hear me. He is for you. He wants to be at peace with you. And I think it's our our job really as Christians to go out and show people, hey, God is for you. I am for you. I want to be a friend like the friends of the paralyzed man to bring you to Jesus and to show you he's ready to heal you. And when we think it's a physical thing, we might often be shocked to know that people just want to know, will God forgive even me? And this story shows, yes. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.